Well, friends, we have been in this series for a week now called Pursuing Jesus. This is our second week in this series. And if you were here uh, early last year, one of the first things that we did was we talked about our pursuits as a church. These are the things that we feel like define us here in our pursuit of Jesus as flourishing grace. And so this is just a little refresher to remind us, man, what are the things that we care about? What are the things that we want every uh, person who comes to Flourishing Grace Church? Like, what do we want to define them as a Jesus follower? And so uh, I hope that this uh, series will be really helpful for you, just to remind you, man, these are the things that we find really, really important. So Pastor Benjamin is going to be preaching for us today from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab the one underneath the seat in front of you. Um, and on that, in that Bible, it's going to be on page 907. So I'll go ahead and give you a second to turn there to 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 12. And after you found it, if you would, would you stand in honor and reverence of God's word as it is being read? Once again, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12 to the end of the chapter at verse 18. This is what it says. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Thank you, John. Hey, good morning, Flourishing Grace. How are we today? Hey, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is Benger. I serve as the executive pastor uh, here at Flourishing Grace, which really means that I get to do a lot of things behind the scenes. And so it's fun for me to occasionally be able to be up here with you this morning. And um, I want to start off with this. Um, you know what nobody asked me this week? You know, nobody asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, not a single person, not a single person. Uh, it's been a while since somebody has asked me that. It's, it's not something somebody my age really asked me. In fact, I would be offended if you came up after this gathering and hearing this sermon, you say, oh, Benjer, thanks for preaching, but what do you really want to be when you grow up? Like, it might be a little bit offensive at this point, but it's a question that we ask kids all the time. Now, for the record, uh, you probably had an answer. If you think back, preschool, elementary school, you probably had an answer that you gave. I have two um, no judgment. Okay, I know this is on video, but this stays here, okay? Um, I wanted to be a crossing guard when I was a kid, when I grew up. Um, I mean, think about it. There's only three entities that can get me, even at the age of 43, to follow traffic laws perfectly. All right, one, you know, police. Two, my teenage daughter who's learning how to drive. And three, those awesome people with the vests, those moms or dads with the stop sign. Like, that is a lot of power. That's like incredible stuff. I also wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. Neither of those worked out, but I'm pretty pleased with how things worked out. Um, the reason why it's such a good question to ask kids 
is it's a formative question. Like, you don't really think that a five-year-old knows at the age of five, like, there's a few of you out there that are doing exactly what you thought you'd be when doing when you were five years old, but, but you, a five-year-old doesn't really know what their future holds and what they really want to be. It's a formative question that gets in their head, okay, I'm here today, but one day I'll be there, and, and, and what do I want that to look like? And that's why when you ask a kid that question, and then she answers back to you, you don't respond with, that's a stupid answer. You know, some of you, maybe you would do that. I don't know. But, but you don't say, do you know the odds of you becoming an astronaut? Like, that's re- man, lower the bar a little bit. That's a dumb answer. No, you say, that's awesome. Why do you want to be an astronaut? Why, why, why does that interest you? Why do you want to be a police officer? Why do you want to do any of these things? Because it's a formative question. And the thing is, even though nobody's asked me that this week, um, it's still a question that we have asked ourselves and we continue to ask ourselves. We may not put it that way, but many of you achievers in this room who love resolutions and Excel spreadsheets, uh, in the past week or two, you have asked this question of yourself. You just didn't say, what do I want to be when I grow up? You said, okay, it is the beginning of 2024 and in a year I would like to be in a different place than I am now in some of these areas. You have thought to yourself, okay, I am here now, and I would like to be in a different place. And the thing is, whenever we think about that, we we don't think like, I'm here now, and I would love to be in a worse place six months from now, 12 months from now. It is a formative question because I believe that that God has put this in our heart, that that we are in a place, and that that God who desires for us to grow and to heal, and he, he, he desires restoration and healing for us, is that he's put in our hearts that we are here today, but we see, we have a vision for the future, the place that we want to be differently. Now, we might approach this question in many different ways. It, it might literally be, what do you want to be when you grow up? We've got some college students and some high school students in this room. You might be going to school, and you might say, that's actually a question I'm asking myself. I have an idea of what I want to be, and so I'm taking the right classes. I'm, I'm doing the right things. I'm in the right internships because I hope to be in that profession one day. It might be a little bit more abstract, it might be, okay, I, uh, right now I am in a job and I have a boss, but one day I would love not to have a boss. I've got a friend like that, and he, he accomplished that. One day he was in a job in his early 20s, and he had a boss, and he hated having a boss, and now he has several businesses, and he's the boss, but still somehow he has a boss because you always answer to somebody, right? Or it might be a relationship. It might be, okay, I'm here today. I, I, I'd love to be married one day. I'd love to have kids one day. I'd love to do this one day. I'd love to have these kinds of friendships. Maybe something's going on in your family, or maybe something's going on in your life. You say, I'm not where I am now, but I'd like to be somewhere different. Now, that's a little bit about what we are going to talk about today. Um, We have been in this series called Pursuing Jesus, right? And what we are doing is we are considering for five weeks, five weeks, what it means to pursue Jesus in this lens. We have five pursuits here at Flourishing Grace that we have identified by walking through scripture, uh, looking at what God asks of, of the church, what he asks of followers of Jesus, and we've identified five things that help us in this greater pursuit, this ultimate pursuit of pursuing 
Jesus. So there are five things. They're not, they're not ends of themselves. They're not, they're not the, the end goal. It's really five things that we pursue that we believe help us pursue Jesus as individuals and as a church family. Uh, last week, we talked about the word, uh, you know, what it looks like for us. We pursue the word because uh, as we open up the pages and we ask the Spirit to speak through God's word and, and we read that and we understand who God is and who we are, that, that we pursue Jesus in them. We say, God, I, w- I want to pursue you through the word. And, and even if you're here and, and you're not into this whole church thing, like maybe you were invited or maybe you're here because you're checking out Jesus, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know about this whole thing. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Maybe I grew up in church, but I left. If you're here, even if you're skeptical, and I'm a lifelong skeptic, so you're in good company, even, even if you're in that place, we can kind of wrap our, our minds around uh, like what it looks like. Okay, I don't understand. I don't believe this is the word of God, but I can, I can wrap my mind around what it means to pursue the word. But today, in pursuing what we call formation, it's a little bit abstract. That's what we're going to be talking about today, this idea of being formed. It's a little bit more abstract. And just to kind of start us off, I think one of the reasons why this is more of an idea that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around is because um, the, in Western Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, especially American Christianity, this idea of formation has kind of been put to the side. Like it, it's this idea that um, you know, we, we, we believe in Jesus, we, we mentally assent to Jesus, but there's a whole other category over here uh, where we are formed into the image of Jesus, where, where God is doing something in our life, and we almost put this this, like, in the, if you really want extra credits, like, we should pursue this. The thing is, formation has been the pursuit of followers of Jesus for the past 2,000 years across cultures, across centuries, and across the whole globe. And so this is one of the things that we're going to be talking about today. Now, before we dive in, um, I I want to stop and I want to pause and I want to make sure to pray because I think this is so important and I want to make sure that I slow myself down and I slow all of our own hearts down. So we're going to ask God to be present with us as we dive into his word and as we listen to what he has to say to us. Let us pray. God, um, I am somebody who stands before you in need of being formed. I am somebody who stands before you Um, in need of transformation. God, I need your spirit. I need your grace and your mercy to come alongside me and to grow me into who you would have me be. Would you do that for all of us? Would we have ears and hearts to hear what you have for us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let all the people say, amen. All right, here's um, where we're going to start. As we talk about formation, all right, I want to give a definition because it's this abstract concept. Here is the definition of formation that we use here at Flourishing Grace. It's from a book called Invitation to a Journey by an author, an uh, amazing professor and author named Robert Mulholland Jr. And this is what he, call, what he says formation is. He defines formation as this. Formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Formation, what we're going to talk about today, is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. There's kind of three parts in there. Formed into the image of Christ, being formed, somebody is molding us, it is God who is molding us, into the image of Christ. That is the goal, is to be more like Jesus for the sake 
of others. And we're going to talk about a little bit all of that today in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, as we dive into this text, here's what we need to know about this text. Um, as, as, as we dive in, Paul, as we read, is in the middle of an argument. Like he's in the middle of a conversation, and so we're kind of jumping in uh, right in there. And what he is talking about is how we... As followers of Jesus, we are in a different place from where the Israelites were. Basically this, that the Israelites had Moses. And what would happen is the Israelites had Moses, and Moses would go meet with God on his own, and and Moses would meet with God, and God's glory would shine to such a point that he would have to have a veil on his face when he left because his face was literally glowing with God's glory. And then he would come back, and he would relay what God said to the Israelites. And so this this is what Paul is talking about, and he's saying, listen, we are different. Not because we are anything, but because Jesus himself has removed that veil and we have access to God that the Israelites could never have hoped to have access. And so he says, since we have such a hope, since we have this Jesus who is the better Moses, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And friends, um, what, what Paul is getting at here is that this system that, that Israel had, that God had set up, where Moses was a go-between, and then even Moses, who was the go-between, had this veil. Man, we, if we are in Christ, have access to God. Our relationship with him has been restored um, because only through Christ is it taken away. In Christ, this veil is lifted. It is no longer, okay, Moses, you go say, you know, you go hear from God. You go listen to what he is. You go hear what he has to say and then come back and you let us know what he says, right? That's, that's not the way it is anymore because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for you and me. He broke down that dividing wall. He tore that veil. So it's no longer, okay, somebody else has to go to God on our behalf and then, and then come back and let us know what he has to say. But because Jesus has done that on our behalf, we have full access to God. We can be bold before God. Like this is incredible access. And then Paul continues, In verse 16, he says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So in other words, when we surrender our life to Jesus, when we turn to God and we say, God, I I understand what Jesus has done for me, and I understand the need I have, I, I... Trust in him to meet that need for my forgiveness of my sins and my brokenness for healing. I surrender my life to Jesus. And when that happens, the veil is removed. And this is just, this is, this is not the main point of today, but this is incredibly important. If anybody tells you at any point in time that they have special access to God that nobody else has, friends, that is a sham because Jesus himself has purchased by his body and his blood, has purchased that access for you and me. That veil is removed. And what Paul is saying is no longer do we stand and wait for Moses to come back and have this veil over his face, but we can go before God, not because we are anything, but because Jesus is everything. 
That is what Jesus has done for us. And this is, this is really important. Last week, as we talked about this idea of pursuing Jesus, we wanted to make this really clear. And, and I want to say this again today. The only reason we can pursue Jesus is because he pursued us first. Right? When you read all of this explanation by Paul, um, all of this is really God doing something. Right? When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We don't remove the veil. We don't remove that separation. It is God who has accomplished that for us. It is Jesus who has died on the cross for you and me, and, and no longer is there that separation. This is incredible. And, and Paul says, this is the hope that we have. This is the access that we have. And therefore, when now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? What Paul is getting at, is not only do we have access to God that we can go to him, but when we turn to Jesus, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, Jesus promised when he ascended into heaven that he would send the Holy Spirit. And when any of us turn to God, when we first surrender our life to Jesus, when we begin following Jesus, when we say, Jesus is my only hope in life or death, God gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to reside in us. What Paul is getting at here in these few verses is earth-shattering, and it would have been earth-shattering to those who were listening to this. Like, we have this kind of access to God. Not only can we go to him, but he has come to us first, and he lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 18 is where we are going to camp out for the rest of today. Verse 18 says this, and we all, and Paul is very clear, we all. So it's not just we, like the leaders, as we're reading, as we're writing this to you. No, this is we all. This is everybody in the church in Corinth. This is all the leaders. This is Paul himself. This is you and me, anybody who is in Christ. And we all, with unveiled face. We don't have the veil. We don't have the separation anymore. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right? The result of the veil being removed and us having access to God is that as we behold God for who he is, there's no longer the separation, so that we, we can behold Jesus for who he is and his glory as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we behold that glory, we are transformed into his likeness. We become more like Jesus. And this is, this is incredible stuff. And Paul uses this word image into that same image very, very carefully. What he's doing is he's hearkening back to uh, Genesis chapter 1. When, when it records God creating the world and then God creating humanity, uh, it says this, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Friends, you and I, when God created us, we are made in the image of God. We are different than the rest of creation. God's image is, is imprinted in us. It, what that means is a whole host of things, but we have the capacity for creativity, right? Not that we are God and, and we can make everything, but, but we can make things when there were nothing before. We have creativity, music, uh, engineering, all of this incredible stuff. We have the capacity for love, to choose love. We have the capacity for imagination. We have the capacity for leadership. All of these things, we, the image of God is in us, but sin in Genesis chapter 3 broke and marred that image of God in us, such that there was a separation between us and God, and that image of God that he had put in us was broken. And so what Paul is saying here, it's not just that we are becoming more like Jesus, though it is that. What he's essentially saying is that we are becoming who we were created to be. In essence, we are becoming human 
again, when we begin a relationship with Jesus, to be formed by him, is that we are becoming human again. We are being who he created us to be. This is this process by which he heals that image of God in us and we become more like Jesus. Now, we have this definition that we have for formation, which is really, really helpful, but I want to boil it down even smaller, just so it gives us something to remember. This is our big idea for today. This is where we're going, and we're going to talk about what that means through three simple truths, okay? So the big idea is this. To pursue Jesus is to be formed by him. To pursue Jesus is to be formed by him. I noted it before when we talked about how formation has kind of been sidelined a little bit in our American Christian culture. But for some reason, we kind of have this dichotomy where we assent to the knowledge of Jesus. We say, okay, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he rose again from the dead. And I learn about these things intellectually. And then over here is a totally different thing where that truth becomes becomes a transformative force in our lives. And it's almost like over here, like everybody, if you want to be a Christian, has to assent to these things. But, but if you want some extra credit, then you can start doing some of these extra things over here. Now, I want to be very clear. We are saved by faith alone, by trusting what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. But the Bible knows nothing of this dichotomy of following Jesus but not being formed by him. To pursue Jesus is to be formed by him. To surrender our life to Jesus is that we hand over the reins of our life and we say, Jesus, would you, would you make me who you'd have me be? And that's what we're going to be talking about here today in verse 18 through a few ideas. The first idea is this. Um, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. Uh, Paul, remember, says this, we all with unveiled face, no separation, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Paul tells us what we should behold. And to behold something, just to be very, very clear, to behold something is to give it your attention. To behold something, in essence, is to worship it. Because the things that we give our most attention to are how we worship things. When we worship God, we give him our full attention and all of our praise. So to behold, behold something is to give it your attention, to give it your worship. And Paul says, when we behold Jesus, when we behold his glory, he is king of kings, lord of lords, all that that means, we are transformed in the image of Jesus. The problem is, there are a lot of things in our lives that we behold other than Jesus. There are a lot of things that compete for our attention. And I don't just mean like distraction. I mean our attention. I mean the things that we think about throughout the day, the things that we give our time to, the things that we give our best energy to. There are so many things that compete for our attention. Right? The, the low-hanging fruit, the, the kind of obvious application of that is something that probably resides in your pocket or your purse right now, a, a little piece of technology called a phone. And this, this isn't just like about, oh, you got to stay away from the phone. Think about this. Think about the thing that gets most of your attention each day. And I'll give you a hint. If you got an iPhone, right, every Sunday about now, you get a notification, unless you've turned them off because you're too embarrassed to see them anymore, you get a notification about how much time you spent on your iPhone, how much attention you gave it in the last week. And there's sometimes I look at it and I'm like, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And listen, it's not about the technology in itself. It is, it is what's on there. 
I mean, we go all the way, all the way to the like, extreme negative end of the spectrum. There's, there's a lot of things as we give that phone attention. We give it our lust. We can use that phone to lust and to view pornography or even to begin uh, relationships that we shouldn't have. We can give it our attention on social media where, where it's not just about numbing our mind or spending time doing it, but, but we see things and we begin to grow in our discontent. And we say, man, I wish I was like that. I wish my, my job was like that. I wish I got to go on a trip like that. Man, I wish my family would actually be able to wear those matching pajamas on Christmas and be able to all look at the camera at the same time, which is a miracle that has yet to exist in the McVeigh household, by the way. And by the way, also look like they don't want to hurt each other. Like, I, I wish that could happen. It breeds discontent because as we give it our attention, that is what we become and what we desire to become. As we lust after things that we should not lust after and we view things that we should not view, we become what we behold. Peter Lightheart puts it this way, talking about um, worshiping technology, idolaters of technology. An idolater is somebody who worships an idol, something other than Jesus. Idolaters of technology don't literally consider their technologies to be divine. In other words, like when you pull out your phone, you probably don't say, all right, it's time to go to church and sing some praise songs to my phone. Like you don't do that. You don't realize you're worshiping your phone. But when you pull it out, many do lower themselves before their labor and ingenuity. They bow until the latest gimmick is ruling their lives, determining how they would use their time, how they will spend their money, their interests, and their values. We become what we behold. And friends, Paul tells us what we should behold and what we should become. If we behold the glory of Jesus, we will become more like him. And think about who Jesus is. Jesus came to earth. We just celebrated this over Christmas. Jesus humbled himself, put on human flesh, was born in a manger, lived on this earth for 30 or 33 years or so, died on a cross for you and me. That is who Jesus is. And as we behold him, we become more like him. You become what you behold. And this is a hard truth, but, but we need to say it out loud. If you, if, if your relationship with Jesus, if the way in which you follow Jesus, if the way in which you behold him, if you are not transformed in such a way, I'm not talking about perfect, I'm not talking about you do everything right, but if you're not transformed in such a way that it makes life better for those around you, I, I don't know if you're beholding Jesus. You're probably beholding something else. If your worship and, and, and what you do and how you spend your time, if it does not begin to be better for those around you, if you do not become more humble and more loving, if you're not willing to put yourself in a place where you are serving others, even to the cost of your own desires, are you really beholding Jesus? Because that's who Jesus is. Friends, we become what we behold. And you can tell a lot about who you're beholding or what you're beholding by who you're becoming. Second thing is this, you can't form yourself. Now this, this should be obvious, like to form something is that somebody else is doing it, right? But, but I, I am one of those achievers. I, I dislike this one. Of all the three points, this is the one I dislike the most because I want to set my agenda, right? I want to, I want to be in charge. Like I know all the right answers. Like 
you know, I read the Bible, Jesus, I got this. Like, I can do this. But, but we are not called to form ourselves. We cannot form ourselves. To be transformed into the image of Jesus is to surrender our life and our agendas and our desires to Jesus and say, Jesus, what would you have be done in my life? What would you like to do? It is to step off the throne of our lives and say, Jesus, you are in charge. Because this is, I don't know about you, I'm probably the only one. You all are much better people than I am. But, but me, as somebody who's been following Jesus uh, for, for over a couple of decades, I've, you know, we kind of learn how to over-spiritualize things a little bit and clean things up. And so for me, this is the way that, that it comes out. I, I have an agenda, and they're all really good things. These are the things I'd like to do this year. I'd, I'd like to read the Bible more. I've got this Bible reading plan. I'd like to spend more time in our prayer room here at Flourishing Grace. Okay, I'm going to do that. And I've got all these things, but the problem is I am the one setting the agenda. All those things are good. And nobody would say, Benjamin, you shouldn't read your Bible. Okay, but if I remain on the throne of my life, if I say I'm still setting the agenda, what ends up happening is Jesus says, okay, all those things are really, really good. But Benjamin... What about this dark thing over here? What about this, this, this thing behind you? No, 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 that's not on the agenda, Jesus. But because Jesus is the one who forms us through the Holy Spirit, what we need to do is we need to step off the throne of our lives. We say, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are King of my life. You set the agenda. And yeah, maybe some of these other things are on the list, but he might. there will be a time if you hand over control of your life and the agenda of your life, there will be a time, and it will be painful, it will be painful when Jesus looks at those dark areas and says, okay, that's what we're going to be dealing with today, this year, the next decade. This is what, this is what I'm going to be doing in your life, Benjamin. We cannot form ourselves, right? And, and we know that it is God doing this because what Paul says is that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed. We're not doing the transforming. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God residing in you who does this. It is the Spirit who, when you're making your resolutions, there's a check in there and be like, actually, there's something over here. It is the Spirit. And when you pull out your phone to look at something, like, there's a check in your spirit. And say, ah, that's, that's none of me. That's not what it means to be Christ-like. It is the Spirit inside you when things are heated. And you want to say that thing that you know is a dagger and would be the greatest comeback ever and would just, like, turn that knife. But ah, it's the Spirit who does that. Um, Robert Mulholland, who, who we quoted earlier, says this about spiritual formation. He says, spiritual formation is the great reversal from being the subject, right, the, sub, you know, the subject of a sentence, the, the one doing all the action, from being the subject who controls all other things to being a person who is shaped by the presence purpose, and power of God in all things. Uh, friends, I would much rather be the subject who is setting the agenda, setting the schedule, and doing all the things. But, but when I surrender to Jesus, when I say I do not form myself, what I do is I put Jesus on the throne of my life. And I say, you shape me. You mold me. You do what you would want to do in my life. The last truth is this. Formation is a process. Permission is a process. And, and really, there's two places we're going with this. First of all, what is the process? Right? We've talked about what it looks like. We've talked about what the end result is to, be, to, be, uh, to pursue Jesus, is to be formed by him, to, to look more and more like Jesus. But what is the process? Um, well, I mean, we could, we could spend all day on this. In fact, we spent a lot of time earlier this spring on this process, like a whole sermon. But it's something that we call counterformation here at Flourishing Grace. And this is what we mean by it, right? 
this world. Remember how Paul says we are, trans- we are transformed into the image of Jesus because the image of God has been deformed. The world wants to deform us. Jesus calls us to be more like him, but the world calls us to be less, less like Jesus and less who we were meant to be. We are being deformed by the world. If you are going along, if all you consume on your phone is the algorithm, you are being deformed. You are being deformed. If, if, if all that you do is just go along with what everybody else is doing, you are being deformed. Counterformation are the practices where we say, no, we are going to go the other way, and we are going to lay these things down in our life and ha- habits and scaffolding such that we will pursue and surrender to Jesus in the midst of this formation. It is not us doing all the work. It's just simply saying, listen, I have a choice. I can surrender to deformation, or I can surrender to what Jesus is doing in my life. That is counterformation. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 4, it'll be up here on the screen, verse 17, says this, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Now this isn't Paul like being judgmental, like I can't believe those people. He's saying this is who we were before we were in Jesus. We must no longer do these things. This was us before Jesus. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To, this is important, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, we could spend weeks on this passage, but this is what I want you to see. This practice of counterformation, this process of saying, I'm not going to be deformed, but I'm going to, I'm going to put things in my life, habits and scaffolding that, that, will, that will help me pursue Jesus and pursue formation, that is counterformation. This is, this is what it is. It's putting off the old self. It is, it is removing the things from our life with God's help that we know are deforming us and putting on the new self, the things that Jesus has for us. And and there are many practices. We'll talk about a few, uh, a place where you can find a few examples. But but some of these are, last week, talking about spending time in the Word, learning about who Jesus is, becoming more like Him. It could be fasting. It's spending time in prayer. It could be spending time in community. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks, that that we are formed in community. It could be this practice of confession, of just saying, this is is what's really going on, and and I know this is what God has for me, and, and so I just want to put it on the table. These are the things that, that, that help us in this process. It is a process. It is something that we surrender to. This is not just, okay, I feel like doing it. It is something that you will have to surrender. And again, not on your own power, because you can't do it on your own power. Not pulling yourselves up from your bootstraps, but surrendering what Jesus is doing through the Spirit in your life. The second thing about it being a process is this. It's a process. <laughs> should be obvious, but, but this, is, this is not going to happen all at once. This is not going to happen today. This is not, okay, I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm going to go to this conference, and I'm going to read this book, and I'm going to read all of the Bible this week, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's just going to be different tomorrow. No, it's a process day by day. Now, I don't say that to give us an excuse. Right? We can't say, all right, it's a process. I may not look that much different tomorrow, so I might as well start tomorrow. No, it is meant to be an encouragement 
We may not see a difference day by day, but, but over time we can see a difference. I mean, we got a lot of new babies in this church. I don't know if you've noticed that. And one of the cool things about that is sometimes, you know, I, there's a lot of my friends have had these kids, and, and sometimes I won't, I won't see some of these kids for a while. I, I, somebody will be six months old. This, this awesome baby will be six months old. And then for whatever reason, don't hang out with these people. People are sick. I see them a month later, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, your baby is huge. I don't know if that's, is that offensive to say to a, a mom? I don't know. Your baby's huge. And they're like, really? Like, I guess, yeah, they're growing, right? But I notice after a month, that's what the process is. That's what growth looks like. Um, my wife, one of, the, one of the greatest compliments that, that she has, can give me is sometimes, it feels like sometimes a little bit like a backhanded compliment, but it's not because she's awesome. I married up. If you know Jennifer, you know that. But, but, but essentially, it goes something like this. You're not who you were, right? Man, you, you, you did this differently. I mean, a few years ago, that would have gone a lot differently. And that's true. I feel bad for the Jennifer who had to be married to the Benger, you know, 17 years ago. I really do. I really do. By God's grace, by God's grace, and what he is doing in my life, it's different. And this is why we surrender to the process. It's hard because it's day by day, but it's recognizing that even if we can't see it, God is doing something. Friends, even in the midst of, of suffering and forming, God is doing something in your life. He is transforming you. And sometimes it is difficult to see, but God is working. He is doing something. And you may not be able to see it today. You may not be able to see it tomorrow. You may not be able to see, to see it next month. But he is doing something. And over time, friends, it, I have seen just him work miracles in people's lives. Here's the thing. I've been following Jesus for, gosh, 25 years or so. And this is how it looks in my life. Uh, every, every day, just simply surrendering to what God has for me. And, and some days it's, it's going well, and some days it's two steps forward and one step back. But, but it's nothing just like spectacular. It's coming home and having a very difficult day. I don't know if you know this, but pastors have bad days too. Having a difficult day and going home and realizing, oh my goodness, it was worse at home. Okay, God, I, I don't have this today. I don't know what to do. It's just, would you make me more like Jesus today? I, there's this thing going on, and I don't know what to do about this situation. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to respond, but uh, would you make me more like Jesus in this? God, I, I am struggling with this addiction, uh, and I, I can't tackle this all at once. And, and man, there's some things that need to be repaired, but... Today, would you, would you make me more like Jesus? And one of the questions is, is what does this practically look like? Uh, in the midst of this, in the midst of, of, of talking through this, God may have brought some things to your mind that you know. You're like, man, I've been called to pursue these things. I've been called to pursue community. I've been called to pursue this particular practice of, of Bible reading or fasting. or gener- I, I, I've, I've been called to do this, and I know what I need to do. But if you don't, if you're like, I don't even know where to start, Benjamin, I want to give you a place to start. Um, there's a book that, that we read here at Flourishing Grace, uh, and maybe you have a copy of this if you've been around a while, called The Common Rule by Justin Early. And this is the thing I love about this. What this is, this is not a pastor or a professional theologian or a seminary professor or whatever. This is just a regular guy with an extremely stressful job 
who wanted to pursue Jesus in his life. And so he, he read a lot of people and settled on eight habits. Like It's not just like the law. It's not the best eight habits. He's just like, man, there are eight habits in my life, things that I have set up, structure in my life that help me in this pursuit of formation, of pursuing Jesus and therefore being formed by him. Again, this isn't like some guy who's running a church and has you know, time to think about this all the time. This is some guy with an incredibly stressful job who just wanted to pursue Jesus. And so I recommend this book. Um, it's called The Common Rule by Justin Early. And, and listen, I know you. I know that you have hidden far more expensive Amazon purchases from your spouse than this. Okay, so you can, you can go online and you can buy this. It's an incredible book. However, if, if that is a problem for you or you're just like, man, I want to start today, I've got a few copies for you and I'll be out in the lobby. Right? And this isn't like, oh, this is cool. I want to add to my library so I'll pick it up from Benger or my niece in Florida or Michigan or whatever should have this book and I'll send it to them. No, this is for you. And if there is a barrier to you picking this up and beginning today, I want to gift this to you. I'll be out in the lobby because we all need to start somewhere. So if you don't have a place to start, this is an incredibly short, easy book to read, to put into practice. Highly, highly recommend it. Friends, um, one of our goals for Flourishing Grace, um, you, you may have found your, your way here because uh, you, you like how Pastor Josh preaches. You may, you may like the music. You love the kids' ministry. Man, we have so many kids in our kids' ministry today. It is amazing. You like the student ministry, whatever it is. And that, that's all really good. But that's not what we want Flourishing Grace to be known about, known for. We want Flourishing Grace to be a people who are known for humbly surrendering their life to Jesus, and therefore, in the midst of seeing who Jesus is in their lives, just being transformed day by day into the image of Jesus. That is our prayer as a church. Both individually, this is something we do as individuals, in our marriages, but also corporately. We do this in community. We, we want to be formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That Jesus would make a difference in your life so that it makes a difference in your workplace. That Jesus makes such a difference in your life that it makes a difference in your marriage. That Jesus makes such a difference in your life that, that, that it makes a difference in your schools and in your neighborhoods. And that Jesus would make such a difference in our lives, communally. That Bountiful and South Davis County would be forever changed. Not because we are anything, but because Jesus is everything and he is changing us and transforming us into his own image. And that is our prayer. This is what we want to pursue. And so I pray that as, as we pursue Jesus, we would surrender to being formed by him. God, as we close, we're going to have some friends come forward. Um, they would love to pray with you and pray for you. They'll be standing up here. And if, if anything, is, has just, God has just touched a nerve today. Maybe thinking about the things that we need to put off, all the things that, that we are worshiping besides Jesus. And you know there's an addiction, there's something, that you just want to say it to somebody and have them pray for you, that they would love to listen and pray with you and for you. Or maybe you just know, yeah, I, this hasn't been something I've surrendered to, and I, I just need some help. They would love to listen and pray with you, pray for you. Or maybe something is going on this week, and you need God's grace and mercy. They would love to come before the throne of grace with you and lift you up in prayer. So I'm going to invite my friends forward. I'm going to pray, and we'll sing one last song. God, I am not immune to this. There, there are things today in my life that you have identified 
that maybe I don't even see, but God, you are transforming me. And I have need of your spirit to transform me into the image of Jesus. I have need to behold Jesus, behold his glory, and be transformed into the image of Jesus. Father, we as a community have need of this. And so, Father, we, we recognize and we confess and we, we just lay before you that we cannot do it on our own. We, we sometimes can't even desire it on our own. So, Father, would you put the desire in our heart that we would surrender to you, that we'd step off the throne of our lives, and then, God, we would seek formation to be formed by you into the image of Jesus for the sake of others. God, that is our prayer. And friend, we can't, God, we can't, we can't just will this or just make it happen. God, we need your spirit to do it. And so, Father, we beg you for that today. We pray these things in Jesus' name.